and hello, welcome to another edition of Board Chitless. If you're a first-time listener or a die-hard chithead, this is the place for you to get all your board gaming session updates. From me, Lecky. Me, Tristan. And me, Sam. Nice, that wasn't awkward in any way. <laughs> I can high-five on that later. This week has been a bit more of our usual weekly budget of gaming, and we've been playing Revolver and Fortune and Glory. Revolver, a game by Mark Chaplin, with art by Javier Carascosa and Chechu Nieto. It's a two-player asymmetric card game. One player is the bandits have just robbed a bank and you're struggling to escape the sheriff and his posse who are going to hunt you down, set up barricades and generally make your life miserable until you can escape or die. Tristan, you played that one with me. How do you find it? Okay, well, this does it fall into the card haver type of it's game definite, that we talked about? It's a definite card haver. We've been told it's a fixed deck game, which probably suits it better. Another game by Mark Chaplin after we played Invaders a couple of weeks ago. And it's, I think, lovely, thematic, fast-paced, two-player head-to-head card game that just moves along at a real clip. It has a cool theme with the bandits escaping and everything. It was actually based on Aliens game that Mark designed back in the day and was, had a complete reskin. And the Aliens game is brilliant as well, if you can get hold of the PMP files for that, but it's exactly the same game as this. And the theme has been really well pulled across into the Wild West milieu. There's lots to think about on each turn. It's got a good level of tactical play. You, you know, you can decide whether or not you want to hold cards back for a later battlefield if you get entrounced on the one that you're on, or you can try and go all in on your current battlefield. At, there's five battlefields. So you've sort of got to make sacrifices and decide whether or not you're going to succeed on one and lose some guys or save up for a big attack later on in the game kind of thing. But it's cool because there's also each side has a different set of objectives. So Colty and the bandits are trying to escape over the border and they can either do that by running over the border or by getting a 315 Express. And when they get on the train, they can derail it as well and cause complete havoc and explosions and stuff. There's always like a cool thing that you can do and they all have really cool themes like... I was playing the sheriff and I had I was causing buffalo stampedes and <laughs> trampling over your guys. There was a lot of the buffalo roaming through, destroying <laughs> the bandits, I noticed. It's one thing I love about Mark Chaplin games. It happens in Invaders a lot. There's like crazy cards that you think you've brought something in that's really cool, really yeah. powerful, and the other guy will just throw a stick of dynamite and it's gone. Boom. And uh, I love that sort of cool back and forth yeah. gameplay like nothing's sacred everyone can die and yeah it just moves along really quickly we, we sort of took it slow today because it was your first game but yeah um, what were your impressions first impression my first impressions was that it was quite a well thought out game i put it definitely within the category of the shorter play easier to handle not too complicated but plays very dynamically very fluidly kind of game at no point did it really feel like I'd lost control of the game itself. I was, you know, trying to manage my cards, find out where the bandits can go. There's a limit to how many cards I can place into one location for the battlefield, and you'd be trying to be obstructing that. So placing down these blockade tiles, that would stop me from placing an extra gunslinger in there. And I found that kind of added a bit more of a puzzle element to it until I could pull out, you know, those cheeky, let's clear a blockade or combos. dynamite the aggressors sort of combos. With the Mark Chaplin games, what I've realised after playing Invaders quite a lot over the last few weeks as well, is that the other player always seems to have all the 
fun toys in their toy box. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's very much a look over, see what the other player's doing, and thinking, oh, they've got it so much better than I have. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that from the other end of the table, you're probably thinking the same thing about exactly. me a few times. Yeah. Yeah, and I do like how, even though if you've placed some of your bigger guns quite literally into an earlier battlefield, you get a few cards that do allow you to redeploy and pull them out and put them back in front of you. There was a few things that made me think that I can strategize a little bit. So you can take tokens away from the Mexican border to simulate flying over there at the last moment. And there's a few cards where I could have taken a few chips away, but I wanted to hold that card in hand just in case I needed to discard something else. And by the time I came around to actually wanting to play it, it had already gone. Something else had forced my hand. You're constantly making decisions. It feels a bit like the bandits have a lot of collateral because the way that your lives are denoted or how much progress you're making or not is placed in how many bandits are literally in front of you on the table. So you start with 16 and they yes. slowly get picked off as the game goes on though. Exactly, yeah, the sheriff's always sniping them from, from afar or using a Gatling gun to get rid of them in mass. And I noticed that although it seemed like there's quite a lot, they actually, they disappear very quickly. <laughs> and I don't think there was a single turn where I managed to stop you from actually killing some bandits. Yeah, it was, it was a bloodbath today. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, you've played it before. You didn't play in tonight's game, but you played Revolver a lot yeah, with yeah. me. What, what do you think of the game? I like it. It's kind of a resource management game, and although it's quick to learn, the strategy is a bit more in-depth when you start to get the grip of what's going on with it. Where the resource is your deck, right? Yeah. Come to anticipate which cards you want to be coming out at what time, so you hold off playing certain things, knowing that they're going to be more beneficial later on. So yeah, you can sort of pick it up and start playing straight away. But once you've got a grip of the game, it becomes uh, a lot more strategic, a lot more tactical, uh, and a lot more sort of involved in the other person's actions. You're a lot more invested in what they're doing because you know what cards they're potentially going to have, what moves they're going to play, and you have to anticipate that. Like we said, there's no, no card is sacred, so you need to potentially bluff with a higher power card, knowing that they're going to take it out, and then you can bring something even better afterwards. And it's all about that timing and it becomes, yeah, it's a lot more lot more involved a bit later after a few games. So I really enjoy it. Yeah. What's that, it's that asymmetrical thing. <laughs> once again, I found out that with a resource management card game, I failed to manage the resource. <laughs> um, I was very much going up against what's Tristan going to put down in this location and then what can I put down immediately after it and forgetting that first turn advantage, I'm just throwing all my good cards into a big pit of death, really. <laughs> Despair. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It seems like a very nice gateway card game to just basically break out on a rainy day. Caravan holidays would be great. The tin takes up a little bit of room package space wise, but it looks like you could take out all the cards, all the chits, have them in a very, very small package to take away and travel in with you maybe. Yeah, plenty of room for expansions in that tin as well. It's brilliant that you can just shuffle and go. You know, it's all ready to go. There's no deck building like with Invaders. It's just shoot from the hip and off you go. And it's cool that it is just a, a shuffle and play game. But the variety in the cards is so great that every single time you play, you get a completely different sort of path that you're going to follow and a different strategy. Like you might decide, yep, I'm going to go for the Mexican border this time because I've got this hand of cards. Or you might get that scrambled by your enemy's plans halfway through the game. Every single time you approach it, you're going to get a nice sort of fresh perspective on it. I do think the thematic imp implementation is really cool. I like that White Goblin games were able to take aliens and just turn it into this Wild West theme, just really cleanly. And as you say, it's just, it's very easy to pick up as well. 
because you only draw in two cards a turn, your hand's sort of almost nicely limited. You don't have to worry too much. You're not choosing from a whole bunch of cards, so that keeps the downtime low. Yeah, you just make your decisions on who you're going to blast this turn and try and. Um, if you're the sheriff like I was, you just got to keep wasting those bad guys <laughs> and uh, keeping their numbers low before you know they take off on the train. It's just, and you'd get a sense of that as you play. Yeah. I think a, a real heavy sense of. The dust and the bullets flying and buffalo. And that yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should we should drink it with a we should drink it we should drink a bottle of whiskey whilst we're playing it next <laughs> time. Really, yeah, yeah. Just immerse ourselves in that Western theme. I didn't find myself actually budgeting for card costs with this game. I don't know how it was with the sheriff's side, but a lot of the games we've immediate effect events or play straight into it, and occasionally there'd be a discard a card to play this one but it's literally one card. It, at no point did I ever feel like I'm really scratching my head and Yeah, the, the big, the big cards cost about two cards, don't they? Yeah. But, but I think that's nice because you've, you always feel like you can always play everything that you get, pretty much. But it's when you play it and how you play it that really makes that impact on you know, whether or not you're going to scupper your opponent. And it's super cheap. It's like I'm sure it's less than 20 quid or something for a copy. So it's well worth just having something you can play on your lunch break and crack out if there's only two of you before. The rest of the gang arrives. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, we um, we managed to learn and play within half an hour, pretty much, didn't we? It was it was no time at all, really. Yeah. Sam, final thoughts on the game? Obviously, we're drawing direct comparisons with Invaders here. Same designer, same one by one. But I think uh, Revolver is more fun. It feels a bit more light-hearted, even though the theme is quite deep. Invaders feels a bit darker and a bit more... It's the end of the world! <laughs> You do get a lot more tense playing Invaders. This is more fun. It's a little bit faster. Flows a bit quicker. Different games, you can both hold their own again. Uh, but if I had to choose, I'd, I would go Invaders. I think the theme is a bit better. That It's a bit more grown up, I think. A bit more meaty and a bit more tactical, that one, than the Revolver. But I do I really enjoy it. Okay, next up we have Fortune and Glory. The cliffhanger game by... Flying Frog Productions, which is a hugely overproduced coffin box of a game, a massive behemoth. This thing is from back when games companies could produce boxes. Actually, I'm going down the wrong path here because Kickstarter's changed all that. We, with games like Gloomhaven, like big boxes are, you know... Kingdom death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are enormous boxes now, but still, on a shelf, Fortune and Glory is gigantic and it contains so much crazy thematic let's just say indiana jones ripoff adventure and yeah. uh, it's a game for one to eight players and you can play it cooperatively or you can play it competitively we played it competitively tonight and that makes it a race for the person to find the most artifacts the most fortune and get back to their home city and you need 15 fortune to win the game i always thought it was a bit sort of back to front that you need fortune rather than glory glory's like the the money in the game that you buy stuff with and fortune's how you win. Whereas I always thought fortune would be what you use to pay for stuff yeah, and glory would be uh, <laughs> what you would, yeah. But I think there's there's a lot of discussion about that in, in the game. But anyway, so this is 1930s world-spanning adventure with each hero playing an archetypal Saturday morning serial adventure heroes. Sam was a big game hunter. Leckie was a, a crazy scientist and I was a reclusive novelist. Alexander Cartwright, you're adventuring around the world trying to get all these mystical artefacts and in our case we went up against the Nazis like we always do. We should probably mix it up with the mob or the Crimson Hand next time, which are the other vile organisations that you can fight against whilst you're looking for these objects that are scattered around the world. 
it's very much an Indiana Jones type adventure. And uh, I really like it, but I think there's a divide down the table here because <laughs> Sam and Lecky might have varying opinions on it. It's got tons of decks. We've got all the expansions mixed in, so the decks are huge. So there's loads of different adventures, loads of variety of dangers that you can face, cliffhangers that you can come across, enemies that you can fight, gear and allies that you can get. There's loads of Nazi miniatures. That the Nazi guys are just popping out all over the board as the Zeppelin flies around, dropping them off and taking over the world whilst you're racing to get these artifacts. And I think it's very thematic, but there is a sense that the villains have maybe more to do than the heroes. I'm going to pass over to Sam. The villains seem to be able to take more actions in a turn than the players do. They seem to have more stuff going on with the Zeppelins flying around, secret bases. They're having a whale of a time, Dockyards. Popping up everywhere. Don't get me wrong, I do I do like the game. I just don't think it's as good as some of the others. It's not it's not my favourite and it could be just because I'm bitter because Tristan stole my artifact and <laughs> ran off for the win. That was the best bit of the game. <laughs> there was a real element where like one player took the lead. There was no real catch-up mechanism at all. It didn't feel like we had any chance of catching up became just a, dare I say, a monopoly where someone's taking the lead and you're just waiting for the inevitable to happen, waiting for them to win the game. It's fun, the theme's great fun, love going around, taking out Nazis and... How, I, many, how many times did you take down that Zeppelin? I took the Zeppelin down twice. <laughs> I was running around with a Tommy gun and an elephant gun, but I decided to take the Zeppelin out without using either of them. I just snuck on and uh, took it down, yeah, in a big ball of flames. Yeah. Which is amazing fun to do, but... There just seems to be something missing from it. I think it's a bit too much down to luck. Uh, look a lot of, of dice rolling. Yeah, it's a look of what cards you get out. You're rolling dice against it. There's not a lot of mitigation until you get, start to gear up and stuff. But to get the gear, you need to have a look in the first place. So I think that's what just detracts from me a little bit. And there's just there's other games that I'd just rather get out instead of this. It's a negative against it. There's just better stuff out there, I think. It's a game from 2011, though. You need to bear in mind it's a bit of a special edition 2011 episode. This with I think Revolver was released in the same year as well, and Revolver feels quite fresh and quite slick, and Fortune and Glory feels quite clunky. I think it's starting to show its age a bit and getting a bit long in the tooth. Just because some of the games that we've played more recently, some of the newer games coming off the back of like Kickstart campaigns, have just happened to be released recently seem a bit more nuanced really. What I found when I was going around with my bad scientist, the way that he's geared up is great against puzzles, great in um, escape challenges, he's like really cunning, he's got loads of intelligence. When he's fighting, instead of being able to success on four, five and six, when you roll the dice he only does five and six, which means he's not very good at fighting, avoid that. The only time he actually shone was when he was fighting. It was really frustrating. I kept going to these temples that were empty, which I'm like, right, I'm going to arm some traps I'm gonna like work out where it's hidden and run away with the artifact and the first adventure card was fight this person jump <laughs> over lava do something to do with agility or do something to do with fighting and none of it was really playing to his strengths so I thought the first once or twice it happened I was like okay that's fine maybe I'll get lucky next time but no he kept getting you know caught up in this adventuring problem to the point where I was like sack it I'm going after the Nazi base you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> and I managed to steal an artifact that way, which thematically didn't really feel like it fit in too well, but I might have been expecting a bit too much from the game really to expect that from it. 
especially with like, you know, terraforming Mars being, like we are saying, so thematically pleasing last week. I found this game quite frustrating and the first time we played it, uh, played it with you guys, was a couple of months ago and we played co-op and that was so much more fun because <laughs> Nazis were being spewed out onto the board by the Zeppelin and people were running around failing or gaining artifacts in different adventures. And it didn't really matter because it was all going towards the greater good. And as long as my character could fight off a few Nazis when he needed to, or just get some cheeky dice rolls in when he needed to get an artifact, then we could all pull it together. But I think with the cooperative nature of the game, the way that some of the cards are broken up, when you do play competitively against each other, a lot of the mechanics break down into individual pieces and you just start to see these rough edges. It's not really, like I said, it's not really the game's fault. I think a lot of it was down to the luck of the draw, but you'd think you'd get lucky somewhere or it would be able to, like Sam was saying, be able to let you strategize a bit more of how you can compensate for it. So yeah, I didn't have a really bad time and I can see the potential <laughs> where it'd be a lot more fun. It's just, unfortunately, it didn't happen happened this week for me. I think I think because it happened to both of us, it yeah. is what highlighted it more than anything. Because whilst you were ended up getting in lots of fights and not being able to do anything about it, I was a big game hunter who focused on taking out, well, getting in fights, especially animals. And I didn't get one fight. The closest I got was a shark, which is funnily enough an animal. <laughs> However, I couldn't actually fight it in normal way. So yeah. it completely nullified what I was catering for, what I was uh, targeted for. Yeah. By the end of the game, I had 12 attack dice uh, <laughs> compared to, I think these guys had three between them. <laughs> yeah. But I just wasn't getting any fights. The Zeppelin that I took out twice, I had to sneak on. I wasn't fighting it. I think I killed a couple of Nazi troopers just going around, but didn't really benefit the end game doing that. It was more of a keep them under control type thing, slow the timer down almost. So Sam, the tooled up gun-toting fighter guy, had no fights, whilst Lecky, the non-fighting pacifist scientist, had all the fights. You could not help but scrap. Well, I just think you're both big, sore losers. I think that could. The game could is amazing. The case. <laughs> yeah, and interestingly though, yeah. Sam was really in that game until Tristan got the... <laughs> I'm going to run over to the city and steal an artifact from anyone holding on to one, which happened to be Sam. I'm not jealous. Run away the it, game was, there. it was a slick move, Sam, <laughs> flying into that city and robbing your artifact for the win. I accept that that happened. <laughs> that, is, that is fine. But the fact that you're stood next to me when that happened, and I can't do anything to you. Yeah. I can't fight you. I can't interact with your character. I can't try and steal it back or prevent it from happening. No, I, it, was, I was, a, it was a card and you played it and that was it. I could feel your pain, both of you, when, when it did get to that point where it felt a little bit like the runaway leader thing. And I don't think it helps being in that situation because it was funny at the time, but then afterwards, the fallout from that was I was trotting around with 15 fortune and we were just waiting for it to, for me to get home mm -hmm. and for it to win. And actually, given the length of the game as well, if something had happened where it had been taken away from me, it wouldn't necessarily have ratcheted up the tension for everybody. It probably would have just prolonged the whole hmm. experience because I think you two had sort of run out of steam at that point. Even though you were running away with the game, we were only one turn away from everybody losing. Yeah, because we're playing competitively. If no one's in the Nazi adjacent zone, no one ain't looking for the Nazis unless it happens to pop up as an adventure card. You know, the villain turns up where you are. Yeah, and it did actually cross my mind to 
not take out the Zeppelin to let the Nazis win earlier. Just out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> Just out of spite. But then I decided that if I take out that, I can get an artifact which will let me come second instead of third. So Lecky's the loser. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> much. Oh, yeah. I think we could benefit from, I mean, if you guys will, <laughs> will let it come to the table again, there is an option to play in teams. And I think in a, like a four-player game, that would be great to split into two teams because then you really are pooling your resources with one other guy but you still got the feeling of competitiveness, which I think this game kind of needs. The cooperative version's pretty good, but it's also, with the rules as written, it's hugely weighted to the heroes because all you do is stomp the Zeppelin and the bases every turn and just wait for the Nazis to steal the stuff and then go and rob them. And actually, it's quite a, mechanically, it's quite easy to do that. And in fact, we sort of house-ruled that you can't because it's so easy because otherwise there's no point going on adventures. But in the competitive game, when you're racing against the other team, I think that might introduce a new and interesting dynamic, but it's a very specific way to play it rather than just breaking it out as it is and playing it with the regular rules where it should already shine. I do enjoy it. I do think the theme of it is great and I love the effort they've gone to with all the actors and all the friends getting dressed up in all the outfits and everything. I think it looks cool. I, I love the board art. The is one of my favourite boards. I love that it's drawn as though it was from the time so they've you've got these big crazy areas like the forbidden islands and the uh, mysterious mountains and all this kind of stuff just a slight distortion on the actual map as yeah. well yeah the uk is not as we know it now but it's just slightly out uh, yeah it's huge yeah, <laughs> like yeah. and uh, so i love all that i love that it's dripping with theme and everything but i do see the flaws that you guys pointed out I think I probably enjoy it more than I should, but next time we play it, we'll probably have yeah. to switch it up a bit. I do think that with this game, some level of cooperation improves it dramatically. If you have to keep that competitive edge in it by breaking people up into teams, so be it. Maybe that's the perfect balance for the game. Maybe that's how it was intended to be played. It's just, it, it did feel very fragmented when we were playing it. It just, there was not a chance in hell that I could catch up to you guys once you actually started moving. There's a lot of cards in there that can change the narrative hugely. Like mm. me pinching that artifact off Sam was one. And then immediately I drew a card when I went to try and sell your artifact where I get robbed. And there's a chance that that whole artifact would have gone. And it was a dice roll and it didn't go. So yeah. I did win. And it was a 50-50 chance either way. So that's a huge swing in the balance on the, on the yeah. you know, a 50-50 roll of a die. And then after that, there was a card that stops another person from selling their artifact. And I didn't tell you guys, but I was hanging on to that card. Now, if you'd have drawn that, if you, if one of you two have had that when I was trying to sell it, yeah. the game, everything would have still been to play for. But because I drew it, yeah. all it meant is I had that 15 fortune. And if one of you came close to like getting that second artifact, I could have just played that on you and completely screwed yeah. you over. So whilst those cards are in there and if they're dealt outright, you could get that just perfect storm, like perfect storm of events yeah. that would lead to a really exciting and compelling narrative. If they're all in the hands of the runaway leader, then yeah. you're all just doubly screwed. So. Well, it's, it's not even just the event cards, really. The allies, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get any gear or any allies until later on in the game as well. You know, boo-hoo. <laughs> so you didn't have any friends? Keep, keep on whinging. I had no friends whatsoever, <laughs> very much like in real life. Um, but when I did get the allies out, it was pretty much last turn. But you could see what a difference they'd make to your game. I got a sidekick, which is incredible, again, incredibly lucky to pull out. It would have added a plus two to combat, plus one to agility. You can have two allies with your character anytime. So the second three. Um, three allies, wow. 
So the second ally was bringing another agility to the table. So overall, that would have been four versus the two that I started with, which brings my mad scientist onto an even keel. And then if they were to bring out anything like a cunning, I would, have gone, I would have been mental, unstoppable almost. So Yeah, but it was no Tommy Gun and Elephant Gun, was it? No, it really wasn't. It was no crazy combo. Sam's personal and arsenal. <laughs> and again, maybe if you brought those weapons out earlier in the game, a complete game changer. So it seems to me very much if that we just had a bad game of what could possibly be quite a good game. <laughs> we just what? have to play against Tell. You know what I think? I think this could do with a revamp take a lot from Dead of Winter. I think to do it as more of a cooperative thing, but with potential traitors, you're against the Nazis, you know, you're always working together against the Nazis, you're trying to achieve certain things. You've got a deck of event cards that are constantly coming. I reckon that could be quite cool to see an Indiana Jones implementation of that type wow. of game. I just, I felt like there was a bit, it was almost touching on a bit of similarity at times, but you're not betraying each other all the time in this version now? A little bit. It was that, it's the thought of you've got to try and keep on top of the Nazis to keep their score down. In the same way, you've got to keep on top of the zombies and stuff like that at winter. But you've all got that hidden role. I quite like the idea of that sort of hidden potential or you've got your hidden objectives. Yeah. You've got your personal missions, but something a bit more of a twist would, I think it could potentially work quite well. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to do it, but <laughs> yeah. someone design it for me. Little, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. When we look at playing Last Night on Earth, another Flying Frog Productions game, that feels very much like playing Dead of Winter Light um, now, because I think Dead of Winter probably was influenced a little bit by Last Night on Earth. There's some very similar mechanics. Going out to find gasoline in one of the scenarios to refuel the pickup to escape feels very much like one of the scenarios or the Crossroads cards that you would have picked during Dead of Winter. and hidden sort of hidden roles hidden yeah. yeah so having having that area of mystery uh, as well with archipelago the worker placement game there's a one in ten chance maybe or that you can well, last night on earth doesn't have that though, does it it doesn't no but without if you took the hidden traitor out of last night on earth yeah. then you pretty much have a much more complicated version of last night on earth except last night on earth beat it to the chase by a few years you know i think Sometimes the way that the board game in industry is influencing itself with iterations of games, look at deck builders as well, then it doesn't take a very long time. So six years in this case between Fortune and Glory being released and what we expect of board games today. Board games today are so much more complex than they used to be. It's a sign, it's a sign of how big the market's got though, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Billion dollar industry now and then six years ago it wasn't. Ooh. Billion, is it? I think so. If someone wants to Google that and let me know, then that's fine. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Here on board checklist, we fact check nothing. Uh, I'm not going to write off Fortune and Glory. I'll, I'll be willing to give it another go. So would I. The stipulation being, let's do a team competitive variant and see how that falls. Sounds good to me. I'd be well up for that. I'd, yeah, very happy to play this anytime, but uh, not when other people are having a bad time and... <laughs> and and it, it does take a long time to play, it takes a long time to set up. Ideally, this is the kind of game I'd have set up and waiting for you guys when you arrive so that there's none of that to go with because it is, you know, there's a lot to sort yeah. of shuffle out and sort out. I do love it, but I do realise it does go long, so if people aren't enjoying it, it's a long time to stay in it till the end of the game. Although, you know, a lot of our games are like that. We do play yeah. the deep, big, thematic games, and uh, this is part and parcel of it. 
But I can also see how a lot of mechanics have moved on, like you say, in the last six years. And certainly roll to move is a crazy old mechanic from back in the day, which Flying Frog love and is still in all their new products like Shadows of Brimstone and everything. There you go. So Fortune and Glory, a pulp adventure board game for one to eight players from Flying Frog Productions. The jury seems to be out. We'll see if any comments on the board chitless Facebook page from all the chitheads out there to see if they agree, disagree. I'm going to be hated, aren't I? <laughs> Only one way to find out. I'm no more so than usual. Tristan's already <laughs> typing up his angry response to what you've said. <laughs> We managed to stall Sam's runaway segue that was taking him down the road and far away from the topic of conversation. But he stumbled back across a path that's been brought up in the Board Chitless Facebook group, which is really, to sum it up, Kickstarter and the amount of hype that it generates for a game. Some games. For some games, yeah. Not all games can be as lucky to get as much from the hype machine as... <laughs> Kingdom Deaths or your Gloomhavens. But does a game doing well on Kickstarter really mean that you're going to get a final copy of a game that you're going to be happy with, really? There seems to be a few horror stories as well as there are a few success stories out there. So let's take it over to Sam. Sam, what's, what are your thoughts on this? Personally, I think that the hype is a positive thing for, if nothing else, for the industry, for the exposure it gets, for getting people talking about stuff about the games, but to me there's too much hype around plastic these days. Games seem to be not even a quarter of a way through a rule book on Kickstarter, but they've made a hundred minis and it's made a million pounds on Kickstarter in the first 48 hours based on some bits of plastic. Now, to me, I, I, I love minis, uh, stuff like Kingdom Death I thought was fantastic, but there has to be something substantial underneath that. It can't just be a ton of plastic for the amount of money they're asking for it. And again, that hype is great. Games like Kingdom Death, where they were mini heavy and they were expensive through Kickstarter. There's an amazing game underneath there. It's absolutely fantastic. It wasn't just about the minis. They had a game made. On the other hand, I back Dark, Darker, Darkest, which no one is talking about these days at all. And the campaign was bigged up and there was a lot of minis and a lot of the add-ons were more minis and this is nothing against the design of the game but the rulebook was taken apart by Queen Games to the point where when it was released the designer of the game had to redo a rulebook in the style that he originally wanted to do it and then send that out to people because it had been so destroyed that it wasn't usable that to me there was a lot of hype around that at the time and that is a failed kickstarter so the hype didn't justify the end product when, when you say failed you mean it successfully funded right? successfully but funded you... but Popular opinion is that it's failed? Or? It might be unpopular opinion <laughs> that it's failed, but I, there was a lot of disgruntled people with it, a lot of people not happy with what they received in the end. We've still not actually played that. You need to bring it around and we need to play it. <laughs> Try reading the rule book. <laughs> would <laughs> You'll you, see my problem. Would you say that miniatures was the big draw for you in, on that campaign originally with that? Uh, initially, Dark. yeah. The minis were beautiful things and fantastic. I thought, well, a zombie game with great miniatures. I'll throw some money in this, it looks really good and the production was looked quite high early on. But after it completed and then you start mm -hmm. getting stuff coming through about the rulebook's not right and the designer's posting on the Kickstarter page saying that he's not happy with what Queen Games are doing. You think, what the hell have I invested in? Mm. Excuse my French. <laughs> <laughs> but it becomes disheartening and that's, I think that's a lot of the reason why 
we haven't got the game out and played it yet is it's left sort of a bad yeah. taste in my mouth about this whole thing. Unless there's a solid game underneath. Minis just aren't justified. Well, the opposite end of the spectrum, Tristan received a massive bumper haul of excellent gaming that came in the package of Kingdom Death Monster and its expansions. How would you see your, like the success of Kingdom Death Monster? Do you think maybe people now see big miniature strategy games and think, yeah, it's going to be just as good because they've raised the bar so high. We need other games going to meet that expectation. That's a fantastic question. And when Kingdom Death first came out, it was completely un untested. It was unproven because it didn't even have a rule book online and everything, all the information on the game was very basic. A lot of people were just sort of buying into the dream, the sale, uh, myself included. The, it seemed like a really compelling world and everything. So we all dropped money at it. It went over, over a million, I think over two million in the original. And we waited years for him to develop this idea. And he could have just delivered a load of miniatures and they would have been beautiful and the game could have been completely stitched on. As it happens, in my opinion, Adam Poots went away and worked his ass off to get this amazing world turned into a really unique, interesting and quite brilliant game with the whole town building mechanic, the hunt phase and the actual miniature fighting stuff. I think that's very much an exception that everybody's looking to as the example of what can be achieved with a great miniatures Kickstarter. And since that, there's been lots of other miniatures heavy Kickstarter games that perhaps haven't come through with as polished gameplay and rules. Or if they have, they've been disguised in bad rule books, like you were saying with Dark Dark Darkest. I would say Myth. I think the times that I've played it have been really enjoyable. I think it's a great game. But I did have to have Dave, who's not here tonight, explain it to well we all had to have it explained to us by Dave because he'd managed to somehow process these rules from all the bits and pieces that were spread around the internet and similarly with Conan that arrived recently I think there's a fantastic game in there but the rule book didn't help and also I bought Conan because it was advertised as a two to five player game and when it arrived we only had two scenarios that fit five players and our group usually of five players was then scuppered because we played through the first two adventures and that was it. We had another 10 quests or whatever it was that we couldn't even touch because you'd have to go and play with the rules yourself to try and make a variant. Well, it should be in the rules that it should be scaled to play from two to five players, if that's what it says on the box. And I mean, that's, that's a minor complaint. I do think Conan's a great game and I hope they're able to fix it and scale it up for the right player count. But yeah, I think there's a, a, a big risk with these big miniatures games that a lot of the stuff is very pretty, lots of hype around the miniatures and the parts and everything. And then when it arrives, does it get as much gameplay as perhaps you were expecting? It's hard to say from game yeah. to game. Uh, I think there's examples on both ends of the spectrum. Oh, I would say Zombicide, specifically Zombicide Black Plague, which is the only one that I have, has seen tons of table time with me and my little boy. Yeah, uh, We played it a few times as a group and I think it's perhaps a bit light for the for the guys. But as a family game, it's been brilliant. And so that came through in space. But again, I did have to do a lot of modding to try and make the expansions work. And I do feel if a game is going to be kickstarted, you should have the complete package when it arrives and it should be ready to play. You shouldn't yeah. have to go and mod it or a variance or whatever else to make it work. You should have the complete game there. And it, mechanics. Should, have been, it should have been play tested. You shouldn't be calling on play tested six months after the campaign is yeah. finished. It just seems mad to me. If someone's asking yeah. me to pay for something, I don't know what it is. 
Would, would you say that there are some warning signs of what might make a potentially bad game on Kickstarter that you might be able to pick out and say, right, they've said they're going to produce, say, 200 minis, but they've only shown two pictures, or they're still talking about what the rules are going to be, or they're still talking about who wants to play test? That for me is it. It's, it's the, the rules discussions that are still ongoing. It's the play test discussions. It's... The minis, I don't mind if they say there's going to be 100 minis and there's only a picture of two minis at this time. That's fine, they've only produced two minis so far. But if they're still working through a rule book at that point, it's, it's almost like someone's got an idea and said, oh, I've thought about making a game, I'm going to put it on Kickstarter and then I'll work out what the game really is. People give me money for something that's partly in my head. It takes a lot of faith to do that, especially when some of these big companies are doing Kickstarters and doing it this way like Queen's Games, you kind of wait and just go, I'll just get it at retail if, when I know what the game is actually going to be like. Now, for the indie guys that are doing Kickstarters, I would say, from my personal experience or personal opinions, advice is get the game made, get the game designed and everything before going to Kickstarter. So you're telling people you've got it nailed down. And if there needs to be little tweaks or whatever along the way, that's understandable. It's all part of the sort of fluid motion of what, what goes on. but get it down, get it get it made, like in your head at least, or get the rules finished and polished before you try and sell this to someone. So it's, it's probably worth bearing in mind at this point that Kickstarter is a platform that's developed so that people can develop and bring products into an industrialised marketplace without actually having that initial budget to actually pay for product development. As board gamers though, we can be little craftier consumers when we're looking at things on Kickstarter and look under the hood really. It's like marketing's a function of any product really. And in order to have a successful campaign on Kickstarter, unfortunately you do need to kind of create a critical mass, which is going to appear to quite a few people as hype. But then to the backers and the people that are actually genuinely interested, it's just noise, you know, it's, it's what you need. It's, it's the information that you want to make an informed decision. So rather than just looking at what's on Kickstarter, have a look around Board Game Geek, have a look around the Facebook groups, see what people are saying about the project and see what your opinions are of if this project was to arrive for me tomorrow, how prepared would you be to play it? And remember as well, these problems with Kickstarter aren't just limited to miniature games. So if you're thinking about backing a card game or a another sort of uh, board game, just have a look around as well. Just see what people are saying about it, see what the makers and the designers are saying about the game itself are they looking for playtesters just use the same ideas to stress test those projects the same way as you would for a 80 pound 100 pound 250 pound miniatures game use the same sort of standard for those 20 to 40 pound card games really we just i think if we all kind of pull together as a group and do start putting our money where our mouth is and being a bit choosier with kickstarter then the quality of the product might increase, it might not, we never know, it might still be the wild west, but we can only hope really. And then, and that's enough from that really. If you do want to get involved in this discussion, please visit uh, Board Chitless at Facebook. We've got a brilliant group there, it's uh, got a few members at the moment, but we do need more. So please head on there and uh, give it a good old like and keep informed with the discussions there. And also likewise, feel free to get involved and to let us know if there's any games they'd like us to play and give you our thoughts on. So that's, I think that's all the time that we've got really this week. It's been quite an interesting week, quite a deep discussion for the end of it really than what we're normally used to. Thanks very much for joining us today and we'll be back next week with some more gaming talk.